Uh, greetings, you're watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. My name is Adam Draycott and welcome. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 22nd of May 2022. And our sentence of scripture comes from Isaiah 48 verse 20. Declare this with a shout of joy. Proclaim it. Send it forth to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has set his people free. Let's have a time of praise. Let's pray. Let's pray that we may practice the faith that we profess. Have a living God, 
Help us to celebrate joyfully the resurrection of the Lord and to express in our lives the love we profess and the love we celebrate. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. We come to the ministry of God's Word. Uh, and as I, I share uh, these Bible verses, just know that the preaching passage is Ecclesiastes. And I'll be preaching from chapter 1, verse 12, uh, through to the end of the chapter. But if you're in church, uh, you might like to go for the shorter option of just reading chapter 1, verse 12, through to chapter 2, verse 9. Um, the other Bible readings, Psalm 40, verses 1 to 10. Again, the 23rd Psalm is a pretty good alternative if you'd prefer to read that. Uh, and Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 31. Please take a moment to read God's Word and uh, to commit at this time to the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, uh, we pray that you would be our helper, our guide, that you'd be present, speaking to us through your word to our hearts, shaping us and growing us to be more like your son Jesus, uh, that you would be glorified above all else. We ask for your help now and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I prepared, I had flashbacks to high school and science lessons in the lab. I vividly remember one student lighting up the gas tap. Yeah, not the Bunsen burner. No, he put the match, uh, cigarette lighter to the gas tap that connects to the hose, which connects to the Bunsen burner. Anyway, whoosh, this streak of fire shot across the classroom. I still remember it. Still scarred. Uh, there was another experiment. We dissected a rat. And I remember stories of people dissecting frogs. Another experiment involved baby chicks, where you were given a chick and you put it in a pen with all the others and whoever, you had to count how many times your chick pecked the others. And it was an experiment about pecking order. And I remember that one, because guess, guess who won? Yeah, yeah, that's right, you guessed right, well done. Uh, when we come to Ecclesiastes, this section uh, from verse 12 of chapter 1 right through to the end of chapter 2, it's an experiment. Uh, it's not conducted by a high school student. It's altogether someone else. And hopefully he'll stay on script. We'll see how we go. Look at verse 12. I, the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Think about that word was. I don't know how that word was works. Why is it past tense? When would your Queen Elizabeth ever say, well, when I was queen? She would never say that unless she was dead. Oh, but that means... Anyway, back to the script, verse 13. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that has been done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid 
on mankind. Now, quick sidebar here for you. Uh, what is wisdom here? In Proverbs, which I, Solomon, wrote, uh, the beginning of 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 uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That is type one wisdom, but there's a type two wisdom, and type two wisdom is a worldly kind of wisdom that involves power of observation, and the ability to make good judgments, discernment. And I asked God for discernment when I became king. It says it in one Kings chapter three verse nine. You can see it on the outline if you've got it. I pray to the Lord, give your servant me a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? In fact, such wisdom then was demonstrated in the next story in, in 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, maybe you know this story about two nursing mothers uh, dispute over uh, uh, one child. Um, he, he's mine, she said. No, he's mine, the other said. And do you remember my solution? Bring me a sword. Cut the living child in two. And the actual mum said, no, no, please don't do that. Give her the baby. And the other mum said, well, we'll both, both miss out. I'm happy with that. Cut him in two. And the to the actual mother, of course, I applied wisdom. And I said to the actual mother, give her the child. In 1 Kings chapter 4, it says that God gave me, Solomon, wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. But remember... It's number two wisdom. Not number one wisdom, not the fear of the Lord. This wisdom is oriented around me and my observations and my deductions in my mind. I'm at the center of it. So as we survey and experiment with human enterprise like wisdom and folly or pleasure and work, no one surpasses me. Doesn't get any better than me. Doesn't get any bigger than me because I'm Solomon. On the any measurable scale, no one trumps me. I am powerful. I am resourced. I am wise. And we need to know that as we read these words. Now, let's pick up the script at verse 16. I said to myself, Solomon, Look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge, and then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. Nothing could be more true. You finish Bible college. You go in and you come out with more questions than what you went in with. Different kinds of questions, but more questions nonetheless. You realise the more you know, the more you don't know. Uh, and if you're a leader of God's people, maybe such knowledge heightens 
their own awareness of their own sin, which of course unresolved can create problems. It can lead to sorrow, grief and heaviness. Let's try another test. That's wisdom. The one you've been waiting for. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. But such is the paradox of hedonism. And what is hedonism? That's a big word, I know. But it's the idea that pleasure is the highest good. And so you chase it relentlessly. And the more you hunt for pleasure, the less you find it. That's true. What about laughter, verse 2? Does anyone have that mate that doesn't know when to stop cracking jokes? It's just annoying. It's maddening. Yeah, that's verse 2. Or what about wine? Who looks for answers at the bottom of a wine glass? Who does that? Well, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing follow. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom, of course. And everyone goes, yeah, right. Yeah, right. We continue, uh, second part of verse 3. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Uh Uh-oh. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Uh, I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. What's that about? The delights of a human heart. It's my garden of Eden. It's mine to fill. It's my paradise. I'm being denied no pleasure. And notice I'm being thorough. I've got to be thorough. What? Why are you worried? You worried about the wine? Or the extensive building projects? Or the masses of treasure? You worried about the music? Or the singers? Or the harem? Deuteronomy 17 verse 17. Who said that? Deuteronomy 17 verse 17. The king must not take many wives or he will go astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Um, read the law every day so that you can follow it. Oh, it's not in the experiment. And do not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. But I am back to the Let's go back to the script. Verse 9. I am greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. Yeah, right. Who said that? Back to the script. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Because it's my garden. It's Solomon's garden. There are no forbidden fruits in my garden. Because I'm the king. And the reward? My heart took delight in all my labour. And this was the reward for all my toil. See, I, I had great fun. Yet, verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was 
<sighs> Havel. Meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So it turns out I was empty-handed. I was just vapour. So look at verse 17. I hated life. Verse 18. I hated life. All that work just to give it off. So much for a legacy. Verse 20. My heart began to despair again. Verse 21. All that work just to give it off to someone who didn't work for it. Come on. How is that fair? Verse 23, sleepless nights. All back to verse 16. The wise and the foolish will not be long remembered. Like the fool, the wise too must die. And that includes me. Nothing in me escapes the death-dealing power of sin. So I, Solomon, if you know my story, I died in Egypt. Like me, we all die. Everything is but a breath. Hevel. Uh, this so-called experiment is really an exercise in hedonism. Solomon explores every kind of pleasure. Or one uh, presenting himself as Solomon... Uh, explores every kind of pleasure, hoping to unlock meaning and happiness. Because individual happiness is the goal. Whatever makes you happy, there's nothing new about that. That's Ecclesiastes, by the way. Consumerism. Central to consumerism is the quest for pleasure through possessions. And so the heroes of our community are those who have it all. Who's living the dream, do you think? Multiple houses, multiple farms, phenomenal wealth. They all they are able to buy all the pleasures of life they desire and they all seem to have it all together. And you want it. And you wish for it. And you think your life will be better if you're more like them, if you have what they have. The pleasure that's attained through music. Or alcohol. Or sex. That is on view in this text. Make no mistake. The holiday house. The overseas trip. Annually. Art. Technology. Whatever the pleasure. That is deemed the essential good of our day. And can I say. We've got it in spades. If you were able to watch this online. Uh, we've got this in spades. Don't we? Yet the quest for fulfilment and meaning is still as elusive as ever. None of those things answer the question, what is the point? What is the end? What is to be gained? What is my purpose? Statistically, we've never been so depressed. What did Solomon gain, the one who had it all? Sorrow. Grief, despair, pain. He hated life. He overloaded his days with work to pay for the pleasure, which resulted in resentment and sleepless nights, verse 23. He robbed himself of the joy of truly living, and then he died. 
But what if we add one thing to this experiment? What if we add something essential? What happens? Look at verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Enter the hand of God. It's been remarkably silent until verse 24. If our worldly endeavours gain naught, enjoyment can be found in God's basic daily provision, his good gifts of eating and drinking and even work, being able to apply our hands under God. It is possible to save a God-given joy through these basic things. This is a great encouragement. Get back to basics. Get back to get back to God. Get back to basics. See God there. Here is a basic dependence on God for our daily needs. A trust in His goodness that moves us to obedience and worship and prayer. I think when God is in the picture. And what spoils it all? <laughs> Ask Adam and Eve. We want more. We want more wisdom. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. Look at the fall. They want more pleasure. They want less God. We love the blessings. We love the gifts. We just don't want to have much to do with the giver of those gifts. We want to decide what is good and not good. Not God. So he is sidelined and pushed out of the picture. And that is sin. It's a bad idea. But we're reminded, look at verse 25. Without God, without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? We're talking enjoyment now. When God enters the picture, everything changes. Verse 26, to the person who pleases God, God does give wisdom and knowledge. And what else? What's that other word there? Can you see it? Call it out. Happiness is the word. And what did God give Solomon? Did Solomon have these things? Oh, he had wisdom in spades. He had knowledge like no one else. Did he have happiness? and satisfaction, and enjoyment. That's the problem with his test, isn't it? His experiment. This is what he discovers. Without God, there is no happiness. There is no true satisfaction and enjoyment. We continue, verse 26, to the sinner. He gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I think uh, the temple would have been full of the hoard, the treasure taken by David from his enemies, taken from sinners, outsiders, given to the one who pleases God. In that case, King David. And Solomon knows that. And it is a crowning irony, the treasure, because the hoard, it's meaningless. We know that. Meaningless anyway. 
It's a striving after the wind. We've been told that, but for God's person, it's still some kind of vindication, victory and all those kinds of things. But perspective, right? Because today for the believer in Christ, we know where the true reward lies. Um, we know it lies elsewhere. Like the meek who are promised the earth, our treasure is elsewhere and of another kind. We know that our real treasure is with Jesus and it is in heaven. I, mean, I can't help but thinking about the 23rd Psalm at this point, where the shepherd is, um, we enter at the end of the Psalm, we enter a room. A table is prepared, so we're going to eat. Uh, it's in the presence of my enemies, so there's a victory. Uh, our heads are anointed with oil, and there's drinking, because our cup overflows. And the promise that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's, there's a picture of real peace, and real joy, and real treasure. And it's interesting, as we think about that psalm, it's Jesus the shepherd that actually... We begin the psalm, the shepherd knows our basic needs. He knows where the still waters are. And he knows where the green pastures are. He's the provider. And he is the deliverer. Solomon, his path, does not offer deliverance and salvation. Only Jesus does. And we need to see that. We need to see that in Jesus, we actually have every spiritual blessing. We no lack nothing spiritually. In Jesus, we know we have forgiveness and those beautiful things like lasting joy and lasting peace. And because that is true, let us trust the words of Jesus. Let us trust the words of the one who is greater than Solomon. Let us trust the words of Jesus who said, you know, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And so be rich towards God and seek first his kingdom. Don't follow Solomon. Don't go his way. Follow Jesus as the one who truly pleases God. Amen.
uh, we come to a time of prayer and uh, the blue screen will appear. So you're invited to pause and reflect on some of those prayer points will be relevant to you. Some might not be. We get that. Uh, but whatever you do, don't not pray. Uh, please do that. Uh, again, if you struggle with prayer, find some things to be thankful to God for. Uh, rattle them off, write them down, make a list. Uh, and then think about, of course, needs. We come to our Heavenly Father who loves it when we ask. Uh, but also, uh, beyond beyond ourselves, uh, we have a church family here at St. Augustine's that have needs. Um, and so please pray for us and our ministry here in Inverell. Uh, pray that we'd be generous. Uh, pray for our parish council as uh, we lead and make decisions that are good and godly and wise. Um, number one, wise. and oh, Number two, wise is okay too. Uh, but um, yeah, pray for us. Uh, and most of all, just pray for the, the good of the gospel that it be proclaimed faithfully um, and that God would be drawing people, more and more people, uh, to faith in Jesus. And so his kingdom would be extended and growing.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you. And most of all, may the Lord grant you his peace. Amen.